Join me on March 14th as I'm joined by Condé Nast Traveller's senior editor, Megan Spirell, to share a behind-the-scenes peek into the making of our Women Who Travel Power list. But there's so much more waiting for you in the full article. From film directors to war journalists to wildlife ecologists, these women are reshaping the travel landscape and leaving a lasting impact on the world. Tune in to hear why Megan and myself are so excited about the 15 women we've chosen to highlight. Subscribe to cntraveler.com today to access the complete list and be inspired by their incredible journeys. And for a limited time, our listeners can unlock everything Traveller has to offer for just $5. Simply use code POD5, that's P-O-D-5, at checkout to access exclusive travel insights, breathtaking destinations, and invaluable tips to fuel your adventure spirit. All for just $5. And remember, every adventure starts with just one step. Join us in celebrating the power of women in travel. Visit cntraveler.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Fala Erikoglu. Hello! This week, we're joined by Harsha Lakwa, the founder and CEO of Syrah Hospitality, a nonprofit with pop-up and permanent training centers that connect locals with skills and employment at soon-to-open resorts and hotels. She's also a member of Connie Nast Traveler's advisory board this year. We first heard of her work back in 2019 when master hotelier Liz Lambert name-dropped her in a live episode of Women Who Travel at South by Southwest. As we start traveling more, we're looking to make more responsible, locally-minded choices, something Harsha has built her entire business model around. We're so excited to catch up with you and talk all things responsible travel today. Likewise, I'm so excited to be on this. Thank you for having me. It's easy, at least for me, to think of responsible travel in quite sort of vague terms. What does responsible travel mean to you? Responsible travel, I think, means to be mindful when you travel in in a nutshell. So I think it's about just being thoughtful. The word responsible for me brings up, kind of conjures up these images of school and rules and, you know, <laughs> this is how one should be and this is how one should live their lives. So I prefer to think about traveling responsibly, like traveling mindfully and to think about what you're doing, where you're going, how you're interacting, how you're getting there. Those are the things that to me would say someone's a responsible traveler as opposed to a tourist. 
you know, you've spoken a lot of the influence your father's philanthropic work with Mother Teresa has had on you and the decisions you've made. Um, How do you feel like your family and upbringing shaped the way that you travel and have thought about travel over the years? It's a huge influence, right? So as a kid, I'm the youngest of five sisters. And my two eldest grew up in Nigeria and Lagos. And um, the three youngest, I guess my twin sister and I and the middle sister, um, all grew up kind of between London and Bombay. And so we were exposed to immense and you know painful poverty since we were really little. And when my dad started working with Mother Teresa, um, I remember as the youngest of the five of us not really knowing who she was other than she was this woman who was really quite petite and really quite humorous. Um, and he was also a woman that my dad would have so much respect for. And I remember when she would call home in London at the dinner table and she'd be on the phone and he would get up and rush and he'd say, mother's in town and we have to see her. And we were, you know, we were kids and unfortunately didn't really understand who she was and and didn't even know, you know, her quotes, but just saw the immense impact one quite petite woman could have on the world and, and just one woman. And so the five of us definitely have these very strong philanthropic genes where you can't quite go somewhere without being aware of what you have and and what the locals around you don't and i think that obviously has played a lot into what i do you know my father's very old school and like many fathers i'm sure and so he really believes in making money and then giving it away he believes in a philosophy of caring capitalism and while he is i would say my biggest inspiration or one of my biggest inspirations for what i do there's a lot of what how he practices philanthropy that i don't believe in and so i didn't grow up being able to you know, have the luxury of thinking, okay, I'm going to make so much money by the time I'm 50 and then I'm going to give it away. And, you know, I, I don't think we have that luxury in today's world with terrorism and, and everything, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. So I thought, well, I can't do it that way. I have to do it at the same time. I have to make money and at the same time impact people's lives. Because what if I don't get to live till 50 in, in, in a, you know, slightly morbid sense? So I was looking for a way to connect philanthropy. And then I started working in luxury hospitality uh, after after university with Six Senses and a little bit with Amman and um, in operations in Singapore. And I was really trying to connect these worlds that I loved, which was philanthropy and luxury hospitality. And I came across the connection when I was traveling in Cambodia. And I was with a girlfriend quite recklessly kind of driving around Cambodia at night, not really thinking about what we're doing. And we came across a nonprofit called Salabai. And for me, it was really impactful to see how they were taking women who were otherwise in the sex trafficking trade and teaching them how to become housekeepers. Long story short, <laughs> that's, that's been some of the impact that, that my family and my upbringing has had on what I do today. Yeah, the beginning of your answer, you touched on how in your childhood you came up close to large swathes of inequality that takes place around the world. 
How did you kind of, when you started working in luxury hospitality, kind of wrestle with all of that while moving through these incredibly luxurious, opulent, moneyed spaces? It was, it was difficult because I'm, you know, very split into, you know, falling in love with six senses in their treetop dining pod and, you know, the most opulence in the Maldives and this dream job where friends at school were, were just like, what did you do? Like, you just lay around on the beach and hope to find buyers and... <laughs> One of them was like, because I was explaining, I was explaining how my job was to very softly sell residences. And so a lot of the times I would get a call to say, you know, this villa owner's here or this villa owner's at the spa or at the beach. And so I'd casually be around to have a conversation. One of my friends was like, it's a bit like a whore, Harsha. just hanging around and hoping to strike up a conversation but so there was that life obviously not not the whole part of it but you know I was I was surrounded by Russian and Indian and you know billionaires thinking about where they should invest their you know extra five million and then I was so aware of of the power they had to actually change so many lives and I remember speaking to people I worked with and said my father's nonprofit is called uh, Mission for Vision, and one of their uh, donors has restaurants all over London, and they have one pound given to um, Mission for Vision at the end of every bill. And so the bills are often 100 pounds, 200 pounds, no one's noticing this pound, but that pound is really powerful. And I remember saying to people I worked with, can't we just put this on the bill? Can't we just put something on the room bill? Can't we... Um, you know, and, and, and when you know the non-profit, when you know the charity so well, given it's, it's my dad's charities, the transparency is there. So why, why can't you do that? And it was really difficult. You know, it was, it was amazing, amazing three, four years that taught me the power of what true hospitality feels like and what barefoot luxury really is. And, you know, working with Six Senses really was for me, one of the highest levels of hospitality, but at the same time, it was really difficult because even when I worked, for example, I interned um, at the Amman for a little while in Sri Lanka. And that's when I that's when I really struggled because I saw all these hotels being developed and all this luxury and all this money being spent and all these restaurants popping up. And then I saw very visually the locals who were sitting outside opposite on the beach, kind of just watching everything happen. And I, I realized that they don't, they don't feel like there's a place for them at all. They can't walk into the hotels or they didn't think they could walk into the hotels and they didn't think they could get a job. And so for me, it was it was tricky, you know. Um, and so that's why I felt really grateful when I came across Salabai in Cambodia because I thought, okay, someone's connecting these worlds that I love and I feel so connected to, but I was looking for that connection. I think sometimes it's easiest for travelers to deal with that one dollar or a few dollars tacked onto bills. But when it comes to making more impactful choices, maybe we just shut down a little bit, overwhelmed by a way of moving forward. How do we get travelers more excited and invested in making those larger, mindful and responsible travel decisions? So I've been thinking about this because I'm traveling right at the moment and I'm thinking, how are you practicing what you're preaching? Right. And so what am I doing? Okay. It's, I have the nonprofit, but what am I doing right now when I'm staying at this hotel or when I'm staying in this Airbnb? And I think it's all 
honestly, a lot of it is going to be on the hotels and the Airbnbs and the industry and the operators to make it easy for the guest. I think that's that's the huge, huge part of it. And the social credit card is something that I feel really passionately about. So that's something um, my husband and I were talking in Sag Harbor as we did every day for the year, <laughs> just locked in that in that house together. And so we were talking about um, this article, right, that I was invited to write for Condé Nast. And we were talking about what Syrah had created was the CSR menu. And it was a menu that you get when you check in or when you're lying by your bedside in your guest room in a hotel and or by, or by the pool somewhere. There's this menu where guests are, are shown, like a, just a laminated menu in my mind where it's you can either donate time or funds and so what do you have do you have $20 do you have $200 do you have two hours you know understanding what kind of currency they want to use whether it whether it's money or whether it's time and from there giving almost this menu to the guest to say would you like to do xyz would you like to talk about you know what it is that you do so whether you're you know you might be curating music for hotels you know which is which is you know one of the things my husband does so it could be something like that you're really passionate about music or you're a journalist right and and just educating people local people there with things that they may not know or may not have thought about um, in terms of how they can sustain their own lives. And so I think that's a really simple act of creating this menu. Um, and then we took it one step further with the social credit card where I think maybe I was a bit idealistic thinking, yes, people would love to donate time and funds if you just put a menu in front of them. But then my husband reminded me, as he often does, that you know, I think you need to reward people with something like loyalty points. And so what if you did this two hours close by to the hotel, if not in the hotel or, or the Airbnb or wherever you are and taught this class. And then as a reward, you got points, which could then lead to an upgrade or a wine tasting or a massage or, or whatever it is that feels experientially rewarding to you. The idea of a social credit card, I think could really, really impact the way, you know, hospitality and, and what well, hotel operators and owners, I think, enter communities and, and, and more so, actually, I think it's going to impact the way communities will look at hospitality and look at hotels opening and look at travelers coming in instead of being kind of apprehensive and resentful and scared that all the resources are going to be taken up. They're going to be excited about what they can learn or what that what's going to be contributed or, or is that is that kind of bore well that needs to be restored going to be restored now because a hotel's opening like it could change dramatically just the way people look at hotels and restaurants opening all over the world. Well, and you know, you saying that makes me think about how right at the start of this conversation, you said that just the word responsible makes <laughs> you think of rules and being told off at school for doing something wrong. And I think often people feel quite self-conscious about their own actions in that context. And sort of that seems like a way to actually get people excited about something. I think for most people do want to do good, but it at the same time, this helps it not feel like a chore. I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, like you're already, this is your holiday. I'm all about holidays. I'm all about balance and work-life balance. And so you're on holiday. You want to relax. You, you don't necessarily want to think about, you know, what can I do to make everyone's life around me better? Because this is your holiday. It's your time, right? But the funny thing is that the minute you do 
spend those two hours talking to someone or the minute you do give back or you, or you go and you know visit somewhere or or help to to sustain you know a local farm down the road or something that becomes your most rewarding experience of your trip and that's the thing that you're going to go back and tell people about and that's that's what i i keep trying to drill in is that you know you're not going to go back and say oh i had the best cocktail or i had the best sleep you know you're gonna say oh actually this hotel made it super easy and we met this local you know this local group of women and you know we taught them you know the very basics of a business plan and you're going to create those relationships and i think you're going to go back to that place and you're going to want to probably reconnect with those women that you spoke to and see how they did and that's going to be the reason you go back to that hotel or that location i believe is because of what you brought to it and it's almost subconscious because because i think you know responsible and doing good and non-profit and you know it has such it has such like burdensome values sometimes when you think about it like a do-gooder and i don't really believe in that i think it has to be fun and you know going back to mother teresa she, she had a real laugh you know i'm sure not all the time but i saw her laughing and that was the impact she had on me and the jokes she would make with my dad and um i just feel like you know it has to be fun and it has to almost subtly be doing good it's not for the people who really want to bang on about how much good they did i don't know that necessarily it's that's going to be sustainable Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast wherever you get your podcasts. be great to earn rewards on everything you crave from gourmet to homemade now you can with the u.s bank altitude go visa signature card earn four times points on dining takeout and restaurant delivery and two times points at grocery stores grocery delivery gas stations ev charging stations and streaming services learn how you can earn twenty thousand bonus points a 200 dollars value at usbank.com altitude go when you apply Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Earlier, you said that it's kind of on the brands and the hotels and the resorts to provide their travelers with ways to access a more responsible way of moving around. How do you feel like brands should be holding themselves accountable to promoting responsible tourism and responsible travel? I think today it is very necessary for brands to look at what they're doing in terms of corporate social responsibility. And I think that they realize, even if they don't want to, that their guests are looking for how to connect with the local community and how they can get purpose out of their visits and their holidays and things like that. So I'm seeing it just as a, as a nonprofit, seeing the amount of inquiries that are coming in to say, love what you do and how can I help? And 
I'm like, great, jump in. <laughs> Let me know what you're good at. But, um, you know, I, I think brands are, are realizing it's becoming necessary. And I think what they don't realize is how to do it. Because I don't blame brands and I don't blame hotels because their primary focus has been you know, getting guests. It used to be heads and beds. Now it's, you know, tables and restaurants and where's their revenue coming from, but they're not schools, right? They're not, I don't blame them for not trying to educate the local community as well as open a hotel. But I do think that it's important. And I think there are very simple steps that you can make when you enter a community. And what I think one of the approaches is, is to understand kind of who the who the chiefs are in the community. So that's what we do when we do a school. We're like, okay, who's the who's the so-called mayor of this town? And and it could be like in Todos Santos, it could be a girl who was about 25 who just knew everyone, grew up there, was well respected, will live there, I'm sure for the rest of her life. And it could be her, it could be someone who is, you know, her friend's mother, who we also got to know, who was in her 70s and was one of our students, right? So it could be whole range of maybe five kind of what we're calling um, cultural advisors. And so you put them together, you put them on a board and you ask them what they need. And I think that's what brands and hotels and resorts and restaurants now need to start thinking is, okay, let's not go in and quite often you'll see we donated the football field. I mean, that's great, but they don't have a bus to get to work. You know what I mean? They don't have water. And so really, like my dad taught me primary, you know, they, he focuses on what people need, right? A right to sight, to water, to clean water and to healthcare. So what do people need? Understand from them what they need, I don't know. And then list it out. And, and that's how you kind of create this menu. Um, maybe they want to learn things. Maybe they do need funds. Who knows? But listen to what they're saying and then create it and then create this, build this relationship with them. You know, for many of us, if not all of us, the pandemic has forced us to sort of reassess many of the ways that we choose to live our lives. What have been some of your learnings, both as a business owner and as a traveller coming out of this? or still in this? I would say, firstly, as a business owner, um, so I've been very focused on, as a nonprofit, we have to have revenue streams and hotels should be funding the schools for all of the reasons that we know. They have lower turnover and brand loyalty, etc. And so I was so focused for the last, I guess, five or six years on hotels funding the schools that I, as a registered nonprofit, didn't think of fundraising and didn't really focus my efforts on, um, you know, building community and fundraising and you know going to governments and writing grants and and things that nonprofits do and and do for a reason and so for me through the pandemic i started to think well first of all hotels may not and don't have the funds that they did before the pandemic and so they'd be less likely to be able to to fund our schools in full um, but there's still the there's still the interest and there's still the desire from the hotels and from the brands to want to connect with communities and do schools and um, they just can't fund them all so we're now 
going into a more kind of blended funding model for our schools where we're going to still um, ask the hotels to pay a smaller portion of the of the cost for the school but we're also going to focus much more heavily on fundraising we're also switching into both pop-up schools which I think can still be really successful in the right markets but also into permanent schools and so the two schools that we're fundraising for right now are in Cabo and London and where we'll have permanent schools as in um, still in entirely non-profit, still for the local communities, but in markets where hotels are seeing so much turnover. And um, I think, you know, obviously with the pandemic and labor shortage being one of the biggest crises that hospitality has seen, um, I think our timing is, is actually quite good at this point to, to start to think more about opening up in urban markets like, like London, um, even like Cabo, like New York, uh, where hotels will then have this kind of ongoing fresh source of local talent, still working with nonprofits, still working with community colleges, still hopefully working with previously incarcerated people, refugees, sex trafficking, getting into the markets are, I guess, the demographics that really, really speak to me and where I can feel like we can really have a strong impact um, and and really meeting the strongest need I feel like hospitality has had in a while in terms of finding great talent locally. So, you know, you're in Portugal right now. You were in Mexico for two months. And when we talked, when we first announced that you were joining the board, you know, you talked about wanting to travel somewhere, but travel somewhere and stay for months at a time. As things do open back up, where yeah. do you want to go next? <laughs> so I'm in Portugal and there's a lot, there's a lot to explore. Like, and, and I think the idea of just staying in Portugal might've been a bit optimistic and, and not leaving at all for 10 years, I think is what I told you. Um, I think, I think we'll still, we'll hop around a little bit, but close by, I would say. So exploring probably Spain um, as well as Portugal this summer. Having just spent two months in uh, Mexico, we're now thinking, which we weren't, maybe we're going to split our time between six months Mexico and six months Portugal is, our, is kind of our plan of today. Um, and so we've only been two weeks in Portugal. It is a fascinating country and I am excited to really explore a lot of it. Um, but that's the plan now is, is hopefully escaping when it gets cold, <laughs> if we can. Um, we still have no responsibilities and no children and no mortgage. So we're living that, <laughs> that free life um, as long as we can. And then, uh, and then, yeah, hopefully coming back to, to Portugal and, and jumping between those two places. So Mexico is just magical still, you know, it's just, it's in our blood. We had a sip of mezcal in Portugal last night and we're like, oh, we got to go back. Dream combo of Portugal and Mexico. But who knows, right? Who knows? I mean, you ask me this next week and who knows, but that right now it, it does sound really dreamy and it also sounds kind of bratty at the same time, but that's the, that's the honest answer. Well, if people want to follow your journey between Portugal and Mexico, where can they find you and your business on the internet? The website is www.sairahospitality.com. It's S-A-I-R-A. -A. And Instagram, it's just Syrah Hospitality. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You can find me at Oh Hey There Mayor. And me at Lale Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter. We will link Harsha's social media in the show notes. Be sure to check all of her work out and we'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts.